Hey, what's up, what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The One Man Show. I'm your host, Kay Salozzi. Hopefully everybody's doing good out there. It's a wonderful day here in Corvallis, Oregon. A little cold, a little gloomy, but nonetheless, it's a good day. Today is episode five, and we are going to be talking about culture clashes. And the reason why I want to pick this is because, like I said, I'm going to be moving inward and working my way out on things that matter to me. And like you guys heard last episode when I was talking about religion... That kind of, you know, hits the soul. And so the next thing up above the soul is just who I am, my identity and the culture that I have being an American, being a foreigner and uh, and kind of just, you know, traveling the world and, and, and seeing all the different stuff and and picking up things as I go. I just want to kind of just talk about uh, specifically how the culture that I was brought up with in the United States and in Jordan kind of clashed when I went there and I, when I came here. But this episode, I'm going to really more focus in on how the culture clashes when I came back from uh, living in Jordan. And so today I brought in a guest, uh, Mr. Mohammed Murad. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, but, but before we begin, I want to uh, kind of talk about um, uh, what kind of goggles I'm going to be putting on today. So today I'm going to be putting on my foreigner goggles in the United States. Yes, I am a fellow American. Yes, I've been living here for quite some time. My wife's American. My mother's American. My kids and I were all Americans. But I still was raised from a really young age, uh, like you guys heard in uh, the last few episodes, um, till about 18 in Jordan and around my family and cousins and my mother and father and sister still live there. And so I just want to kind of talk about uh, how, like I said, how the um, difference in culture um, kind of affects my day-to-day, um, uh, how, how can I explain it? My day-to-day experience or my day-to-day interactions with people and just with my surroundings. Um, but first, I would like to um, say the quote of the day. Cultural differences should not separate us from each other, but rather cultural diversity brings a collective strength that can benefit all of humanity. That is by a quote by Robert Allen. And I picked that quote because it's true. You know, we shouldn't have a culture divide us. It should be, we should pick up, especially here in the United States, when we're a big melting pot of immigrants, of people who have come here uh, from all across the world and who are Native American, who are native to America um, from, from, from the past. And we should all kind of, I think, uh, collectively bring our cultures in and we can learn from one another. We can teach each other uh, certain good qualities. Uh, for example, myself, I bring the best qualities and culture, uh, best qualities of the culture in the United States and the best qualities of the culture in Jordan. And I combine them. And so far, it's been working great. I get along with uh, a lot of people, a lot of my listeners out there. You guys probably already know me. Um, and, and things are working great. I get along with everybody. I, I don't you know, necessarily step on anyone's culture. I respect everyone else's culture and I get that same respect back. And I, and I love it. But uh, to kind of help me verify my experiences and share some of the experiences that they've had, that's why I brought on our guest speaker today so that he can kind of explain his experience over in the Middle East alongside my experience. We can kind of show you, the listener, how we both kind of have these common denominators as a Middle Eastern or Arabic culture. Um, Sometimes religion is tied to our culture. Um, Sometimes it's just strictly culture. But... Yes, I've lived in Jordan, and yes, this gentleman is uh, from another country in the Middle East, which I'll let him explain. Uh, we both have come to the United States and have s- faced similar challenges. Uh, would you agree, Mr. Muhammad? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so as we begin, can you just uh, kind of give a little brief detail about yourself, kind of a little background about your education um, to the listeners real quick? So um, I, gradu- I graduated high school in 2008. Well, uh, first off, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Kuwait. Kuwait. Okay, let's yeah. clarify that first. From Kuwait, um, what what city exactly? Well, I grew up in Jabriya. Jabriya, Kuwait. Okay, which is an area in Kuwait. Okay, Kuwait City. Mm-hmm. And um, I graduated high school in 2008 in Kuwait. Yep, mm-hmm. and got into the College of Science, Kuwait University. Oh, nice. And um, when I first started, you know, my family was pissed off that they wanted me to go after the College of Medicine and become a doctor. Uh-huh. And I just didn't know what to do at first. And um, 
when you I first just, went into university. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a common theme, you know, and that's funny that you said that because that seems to be a common theme wherever you go in the world, uh-huh. whether you're here in the United States or whether you're in the Middle East or in somewhere in Southeast Asia. It seems like when you first get into college, a lot of us students have trouble with finding out or figuring out what it is that we want. Yeah. So, I mean, what did you uh, end up getting a bachelor's in? So, um, back in 2008 and between 2008 and 2009, um, one of my professors in biology 101, she, um, she gave me a book called The Secret Life of Plants by David Attenborough. And that kind of fascinated me. Okay. And I wanted to go after that specific field. So mm-hmm. I chose botany as my major. Oh, wow. And uh, I've chosen microbiology as my minor. So you were saying that you were influenced by this book so much that you got a degree in this field. And that professor. And the professor. Okay, right on. I hope she she doesn't retire by the time I'm back. (laughs) So was she kind of like a mentor to you? Oh, yeah. Nice. She was a a mentor. Anyways, so I graduated in 2014 um, and got a scholarship six months after that. They wanted uh, a specific... uh, they wanted that specific expertise or experience in crop production. You got a scholarship at Kuwait University? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so you got a scholarship to continue your studies at Kuwait University or you got a scholarship to come to the United States? I was given the opportunity to go to the U.S. and oh, wow. get a master's and a Ph.D. Oh, so, so you graduated with your bachelor's over there. And because you did so well, they gave you and you were eligible for a scholarship to come to the United States. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Okay. So... I, um, uh, this is a funny story in the past. I always wanted a Subaru okay. when I graduated high school. And it's funny, I chosen, I've chosen i chosen the place where Subarus, you know, are a Are thing. the most, yes. So <laughs> There are definitely dozens and dozens and dozens of Subarus here I in, know, in Oregon. I know the seed capital of the world, so I've chosen this specific field. Okay. And the professors encouraged me back home. So I'm here in 2014, August the 28th. I think it was like two days before the Beaver game or something. Okay. Um, I finished my master's back in 2017. and I'm Here at doing, OSU? Yep. Okay. I'm doing my PhD now. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So you'll be Dr. Muhammad here pretty soon. Hopefully. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, OSU is definitely, yes, Oregon is the seed capital of the world. And you, uh, did you apply at any other universities or was just this the... I've, I've tried OSU, Oklahoma. And um, the University of Reading in the UK. Okay. And I have one of my professors, um, one of the professors actually that I've met in Kuwait was from Oregon. Oh. And um, I just felt it's better to go after Oregon for, well, I was like, hey, do I get wet or do I experience tornadoes, you know? Like, I'd say OSU, <laughs> Oregon would be a better choice. Yeah, it's definitely being better, better being a beaver than a cowboy. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, from my, that's from my own biases. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, that's awesome. You know, did your bachelor's, master's, getting your PhD and stuff like that. Well, really today, Muhammad, I brought you on the show so that you can talk to our listeners and tell them about kind of some of the, um, you know, some of the experiences that you had coming from the Middle East as far as like, you know, you coming there as a coming here as a Middle Eastern individual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to begin, tell us how did you think the United States was? Like, what what expectations did you have before you even left Kuwait? I'm gonna be a little harsh because I come from a culture that we do not like compliment or we do not just say the just the words you want to hear. Okay. So we had very very. Um, high thoughts, you know, I had like high expectations when I arrived here. And when you show up, you expect to see fancy cars wherever you go, you know, what, whatever Hollywood is advertising. <laughs> so um, there are two cultures that are being shipped um, media-wise. Okay. So the, those two cultures in are- Kuwait. The, In Kuwait. In yes. Kuwait, yes. So what people think of the U.S. are two cultures. Okay. The one in New York mm-hmm. and the one in L.A., and once you go into, like, you stay away from those two big cities. Right. You see that, okay, so the U.S. is not whatever marketed to us in Kuwait. You thought big city, fast life, fancy cars, um, at, at what whatever the TV was telling you. Oh, yeah. And, and then you got to Oregon. and <laughs> Yeah, and Oregon is more laid back. It's yeah. more, no, like, you barely see a lot of fancy cars here. 
I mean, I have to admit, Oregon definitely traded in their concrete jungle for a nice green, uh, rainy uh, scenery. Not, beautiful scenery here. Oh, yeah. I, I have to admit. I do agree with that. Yep. I personally from Dallas, Texas, and when I came here, you know, Dallas, Texas is a very flat place. Um, it's funny that you say that because when I came from Jordan back in 2005, I experienced the same thing. I saw, you know, I used to watch MTV a lot, and 50 Cent was really popular at the time, and they had some really awesome music videos, and I thought as soon as I got off the plane, it was going to be just be one grand old party, and it was going to be, you know, money, champagne in the air, money all over the place, and... And it was definitely a different reality. I'm not going to lie. Now, I definitely had to go search for those for those things, you know, but it wasn't like what. So what TV, what America is on TV and what America really is, was definitely a huge difference in Jordan. So I see that, you know, you share that same belief. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was it was definitely um, it was definitely a shock to me. Uh, tell us about, you know, in your first week or two. I mean, tell us something that that crazy that happened. So. Back in 2014, there was this graduate student orientation. Okay. And they're trying to encourage people, hey, don't drop out. Just, you know. You <laughs> stick know, with stick it. Stick with it. And I've met this um, Native American colleague. He, okay. He, he was in water management or water resources. I don't I don't really recall what's, what's the name of the program. But because I was so influenced by the culture in the media, so it's not the real American culture, it's what's televised. <laughs> So um, I make that mistake of saying, oh, wow, you're so I use instead of using Native American, I yes. use another word, which is considered derogatory. You know what I mean? And he has that look on his face. And I realize, OK, I said something bad. What was it? So I spoke with another friend that I met and he said, you said what? He was shocked. He was shocked. For and the I, listeners, he said the I word he called them, you know. I don't, I don't want to say it. I don't want to uh, offend anybody either, but, yeah, you know, you call them the I-N-D-I-A-N word. Yeah. Yes. So um, I was like, why? Why is it so bad? Because I didn't know. Right, right, right. Over there, I mean, they literally are called uh, red mm -hmm. and then yeah, the, so, the I word. So, so I agree. In Jordan, it's the same thing. Yeah. So um, we didn't know better. Yeah. So I had to actually go and find him uh, and apologize. That must have been hard. It, it was hard finding him first because he's a he's a graduate student, so he's busy. Yeah. And I think he had a family, so that's another problem finding that person in that busy schedule and trying to reach out to him and say, "Hey, I'm sorry, I didn't right. mean to offend you." You had good intentions. Yeah. It's the first time you met somebody like that. And with that kind of background. And this is what you do. And then you messed it all up. <laughs> um, That's okay. I'm sure he accepted Did he accept your apology? He did, and he was um, he appreciated it. But I actually invited him for lunch three times, and he refused. Oh, so yeah? That, that's another... Does he still go here to school, to OSU? I don't know. I think he graduated. He What's was his in, name? I don't recall, actually. I had his number in one of my phones, but... Well, if you're listening out there and you uh, are a Native American and you had an experience with Mohammed Murad over here, please accept his invitation. The one man show is asking you to accept his invitation to lunch. Because, you know, culturally, <laughs> back in Kuwait, if you get invited to lunch, yeah. you have to oblige. You got to commit. Yeah. At least at one point. At one point, you know, at least, yeah. Um, just to to at least uh, you know show that you know you 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 like the person. Um, you know, it's funny that you say that. I didn't necessarily my very first time here didn't necessarily say something like that. But I remember getting off the plane, and my cousin Abdullah came to pick me up. And like I said, you know, I had this expectation of it being this big party and having fun and stuff like that. But when I got to uh, the United States, and my cousin and drove me home from the airport, I still didn't feel like I was in the U.S., right? I still felt like I was at home because we and him were speaking Arabic and we were talking about all the people back home. My cousin had been here for uh, quite some time and he hadn't gone back. And so he was asking about this person and that person and including his own family, right? So it just seemed like I was still in, I'm in Jordan, uh, hanging out with uh, just a cousin, right? Uh -huh. So I, he's like, where do you want to go to eat? I said, you know what? I'm really hungry. I'd love to go to IHOP. It was late at night. It was like one in the morning. And had it been earlier, I'd want to go out, I would have gone to Golden Corral. Why, why IHOP? You know, IHOP, it just, 
you know, pancakes and hash browns and eggs. I mean, those, I love those things. I mean, my mom's American and in the U and in Jordan on her days off, she would cook us some hash browns and eggs and stuff like that, you know, and it's just one of my favorite American meals is hash browns and eggs and uh, turkey bacon. Cause you know, we can't have pork. <laughs> um, and I think IHOP uh, offered that at the time. Anyway, I really wanted to get a nice T-bone steak a hash browns and eggs and just have a good old fashioned American breakfast. Um, and so we got there and we got out the car and we're walking, we're, we're walking into the place and I look over to my right and there's a couple leaning up against their car, uh, making out like actually French kissing. And it blew me away. I was like, Abdullah, look. <laughs> and he looks, he thought something crazy was happening, right? And he mm -hmm. looks over and I'm like, look, they're, I said it in air. I'm like, look, they're kissing. And I'm like pointing my finger. And he's like, stop, just be quiet. Put your hand down. I said, what's wrong? He's like, we're not in Jordan, man. This is normal here in the US. And, and I was like, oh, oh, I had to kind of just kind of come to a realization that, you know, this was okay. So we get into this, get into IHOP and everybody was wearing weird, gothy makeup. And I was like, Abdullah, where are we? Like, what is going on? Is this the new fashion? He's like, man, how long has it been since you came to America? I said, I mean, it's only been like six years. And he was like, it's Halloween, man. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I forgot. Uh -huh. I was wondering why everybody was so dressed up. Nobody had any masks on, but they, you know, they were all dressed up in makeup and their hair was all funky and they're wearing weird clothes and stuff like that. And so, and it turns out it was Halloween. So it was something that I had to, those were my, I mean, that was literally fresh off the plane. Um, and the very first experience w was those things. And it definitely was different because in the Middle East, I mean, you would agree, you don't see public display of affection no we don't we don't have that not in kuwait it's, or in jordan it's considered very rude even a husband and wife right yes. yep i mean you won't find i mean i i think the max at the time I, I'm, times have changed i'm sure there's some stuff that goes on but back then i mean the max max that you would see would be a husband and wife holding hands and even then you didn't see it that much. Usually, it's in malls where the husband is broke and doesn't want, his, want you know doesn't want his wife to break away and shop. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's the exact reason uh, and, and everywhere, but I definitely I've seen it, you know, and I usually see it with older couples. Uh -huh, yeah. You know, I don't necessarily see it with young married couples them doing that, and it just it's, it doesn't mean that they you know don't love each other or it's it's just public display of affection is just not something that's part of the culture, and that was definitely. Uh, uh, a big, a big one for me, you know, any, any time that I, uh, you know, had a, any type of relationship, a public display of, of affection was definitely not, um, even till now, even with married to my wife in public, you know, I think the max that I'll do is give her a hug, maybe a kiss on the forehead. And that's about it. I mean, even right now talking about it is a little bit, kind of uncomfortable, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it just, even talking about it is, and that's definitely, and here in the U.S., you find it normal, absolutely, absolutely normal to go anywhere and see a couple, you know, saying, giving just a, a kiss goodbye on the, on the lips. And it just, it's something that I just can't do. Um, so when you, let me, g give me some more examples. Give me some, something that, you know, some kind of funny that happened that you, you know, kind of had this, you know, pre-notion or you, you know, just, it was just a, a, a part of you and you came to the U S and it was hard to break off or hard to realize or a hard pill to swallow. So, um, I come from a different culture, so I grew up in a very conservative family Okay, back home and there are some rules. Uh huh. Like I, I think it's more even common in Kuwait, even, even with liberal Kuwaitis. Okay. So we don't shake hands with, mm. um, you know, the opposite the, sex. The opposite sex, correct. Yeah. I've actually had had a hard time doing that here in the U.S. So yeah. some people, some colleagues, some professors, they would, oh, hey, nice to meet you. They would extend their hands. They want to shake hands. I cannot. Here in the U.S. Here in the U.S. Till today. Um, no, actually, I managed to kind of overcome that. Okay. But I still have that awkward, like you know. Yeah, but the first time. Tell us about the first few times. First few times is like. Uh, like, you know, I would just, I would just look them, you know, look at them in the eyes and yeah. just, then I might extend. And sometimes I say, I'm sorry, I cannot shake hands. You would tell but, a female that? Well, some of them would take it 
normally and some of them have that look on their face like why you know yeah and i tell them hey i'm from a different culture i'm from, from the middle east yeah. and it's vice versa by uh, the way women don't do that i've seen a a video during um some graduation ceremony where uh, a girl that just got her um degree didn't shake you know shake hands with the king said arabia for oh, instance oh wow she, um, they, so there are some rules. Like yeah. we, we do not. Like, even if it's the king. Even if it's the king. Yeah. And that's the funny part. When I went back home, I've actually had a problem like with. Being Reversing it back. Oh yeah. So you're <laughs> literally extending hands and. To um, people that you shouldn't. Yeah. To people that I shouldn't like, let's say some, you know, people from the opposite sex. And they would look at me like, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he trying to shake my hand? Yeah. <laughs> but then like, oh, I realized this is okay. This We're is back cool. in Kuwait. Uh -huh. Yeah. So you know, it's funny how fast you can travel to a different country. It, it, you can travel faster to a country than your body can acclimate. And I know that sounds like, well, yeah, duh, Case, you know, but it, it's genuinely like, it's hard to realize that, you know, 24 hours later, just that one day, you've been living a lifestyle for months or even years, uh -huh. you know, and then you travel to Kuwait or you travel somewhere across the world and you, you try to go back and, and it takes your, t it takes time. Sometimes you're used to doing something and then boom, you have to do a completely opposite. Just like an example that you gave. I remember um, when I first got back to the U.S. or when I first came back to the U.S. And I say came back because I was born and raised here. Right. So I went to Jordan. I lived there for quite some time. And then I came back to the U.S. I remember finding it so odd that when I would greet a couple or a male and a female, whether they were brother and sister or they were um, a married couple or boyfriend and girlfriend, the woman would hug me, okay, and the man would shake my hand. And it's so opposite in the Middle East because in the Middle East, you know how, um, just to explain to the listeners, we do the like the Italian kiss on the cheek on both sides. Middle East, we do the same thing. And so with the males, you kind of bring it in. I mean, that's pretty close when you're given, you know, just the, 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 the mwah, mwah on each side, you know, of the, of your, of your cheek. And then the female, you don't even, I mean, you just, I, I just wave. wave. You just yeah. wave. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you acknowledge her presence. You say, assalamu alaikum, you know. And depending on how close you guys all are, I mean, you could um, not necessarily uh, full blown conversation, but, you know, you talk to her just like you, you would everyone else. And um, and then I came I came back here and it was like the the man, a man and a woman would would hug it out. And then the and, and not all situations, you know, it just depends on how close you are here in the U.S. Because I have I have definitely seen situations where. You know, a woman will shake my hand, um, but it's always awkward. It always seems like uh, in a professional setting. Yes. Handshake is perfect. But like when you get to know somebody, but you don't know them that well, it's like, do you go in for a hug or do you handshake? I, I after I got married, I've I started to handshake. Just I don't want anything to not that anything would, but out of respect for my own wife not wanting other men to hug her. I don't hug women anymore, whether they're single or married. I just shake hands and he, even here in the U S and that just, it's, it's just the safest. And, uh, but I just found it so weird how it was so opposite when I came here and, uh, and here I am hugging the women and just handshaking at a distance with the man. And it was, you know, it was like a, it's like a manly thing, right. To shake the hand. Like, uh -huh. Hey, how you doing? You know, and the yeah. woman, Hey, how's it going? And you, you bring it in for a hug. And so that's just uh, definitely one of the one of the culture clashes. Um, I know we talked earlier before the show started. We were mentioning something about, you know, the whole eye contact. Why don't you give us a little uh, a little description on what you meant by that? So tell us. Tell them what you told me. So culturally, we do not maintain um, eye contact with the opposite sex. Yeah. That's considered rude. Why are you staring at her? You know, right. that kind of a rude, um, you know, attitude. So, um Rude gesture. Yeah. To just just look at them. Yeah. Even if you're talking professionally. Yeah. So you have to actually not to look at them. You know, you cannot I look mean, them in the eyes. You for cannot. long periods of time. You can yes. look at them. Yeah. But like, you know, you got to break away every five to six seconds. Well, culturally, since I grew up with, you know, with my grandma, and mm -hmm. it's, it's a different period. It's not just time and, you know, it's not just the space. Right. The difference 
um, the cultural difference in space, but also in time. Right. So what was okay during, uh, you know, our great-grandfather's periods are not okay, you know, vice versa. Yeah. So this is one It's a of generational the, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of grew up with my... Um, in my last years during, you know, my last years in college, I grew up with my grandma. I, I actually lived with my grandma. And While you were getting your bachelor's degree. Yes. And I've actually, you know, I've been uh, been there, you know, when I was a kid. But that kind of transition kind of even had some kind of a shock on me because now you have a different set of values that is going through you from your grandma directly. Right. Except through your mother and your father and such. Um, so, so you're here, getting like two generations oh, worth yeah. of yeah information. So what's and funny culture. is that there was a time where I kind of didn't look at someone, hmm. and that specific someone got offense to that. And okay, hold on, hold on, back up the story. Uh huh. Where were you? Um, I was in a social gathering. So it's in the not, United States or yes, Kuwait? Here yes. in the U.S. Yep. So you're traveled here, and this is a time where eye contact made it was super awkward. Yeah. Because of the difference yeah, because in how you treat or how you look at other people. Well, it's funny between the guys. So if you maintain eye contact between someone you don't, you know, between you and someone you don't know, you e start a fight. Even males. Even males. This, yeah. is in Kuwait. Yeah, this is in Kuwait. I agree. And Jordan's the same thing. If oh. you stare at somebody for too long, it's it's considered like threatening. Yeah. yeah. You know, are, are you looking for a fight? You know, that right. kind of a thing. And to girls or women, um, it's considered rude. Uh -huh. You just don't stare at them. Yeah. So imagine now come in here while people just stare at you and smile. Yeah. You know, if and you maintain just, eye contact the entire time. Yeah. And can maintain eye contact, smile at you. And you look, oh, who's that guy? <laughs> Why is he looking at me? Is he insane? You know, do I look like someone? Is there something on my clothes? Like, right, yeah, right. Yeah, what is he that, looking for? Why, why is he staring so hard? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of funny being, you know, living in a, in a country where the set of ethics is just, they're the exact opposite of what is like considered okay and what is considered not okay. Mm -hmm. I'm still struggling, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling with eye contact, but um, I, I guess I'm kind of getting better, but I, it's not like the handshake. The handshake is easy. You can yeah. handshake without really, you know, maintaining eye contact. But with the uh, eye contact, there are still some struggle. And some people probably, you know, passed it. Some people what? Some people, you know, you know, pass that problem, like just adjust it. Overcome. Quickly. Yeah, overcome. That overcame problem that problem. And adjust it very quickly. I, I still struggle with it. Um, I, I try to main eye contact as much as possible here in the U.S. Um, I, I was raised the same way where eye contact with males is a considered, you know, threatening. Like if you want to start a fight, just straight stare at somebody. And not, not necessarily just randomly. Like, if you don't like the person or something's going to, you know, there's some kind of beef between you. If that's the fastest way to get to uh, starting <laughs> yeah. the fight. Uh -huh. um, and with females, definitely, it's like, you know, why is he looking? He, does he have, what kind of intentions does he have and stuff? And so when I came here to the U.S., it, it was hard to do that. But I found a medium balance. I, I look at people and I talk to them in their eye when I'm talking. And then when they talk, I still look at them, but I kind of like... Like I'll I'll be thinking or I'll like nod my head and I'll kind of look away or I'll break off for a little bit and and come back. And it makes me feel comfortable, too. And honestly, I haven't noticed or no one's ever complained to me uh, so far. But that definitely is a, is a big one. That was that's it was really hard, too, because you got trained so much over there to not do that, especially with your elders, with your parents, with your, you know, your friends. You know, obviously, it's a little different with your friends, but with just strangers and stuff like that, you don't want to you don't want to start a fight that you don't even are trying to start one. Uh -huh. um, but you know what I've noticed since you've got here? You have really, really good English. And uh, it's it's funny to me how you can you know, you, you came here in 2000 and what? Uh, 14, 14. 14. Yeah, you mentioned that. In 2014 and in 2014, you've never been to the United States prior to this? No. This is, this is your first time ever coming to the U.S. when you came in 2014. That's correct. And so how do you speak such good English? Oh, well, um, what I've done is, so this is going to sound very funny, but I... Um, during the six, you know, when I first arrived in August 2014, mm. I did have an accent, a very thick accent. Okay. And I didn't get the slang. So besides what you are taught in school. 
When you mean by you didn't get the slang, like you didn't understand what yeah what, the terminology yeah some of the you know or sayings of, yes uh-huh. so we get taught we are taught English during primary school all the way to you know to high school and from college, English yes um, not all subjects though just they teach us English just as a this, separate as a know. second language yes okay when you're in college you are taught sciences in English mm. so instead of just Learning in Arabic, no, you learn those, you know, botany and microbiology and those biological sciences, math, you know, hard sciences in English. It goes with engineering and medicine as well. Um, Is it just the books in English or do the professors actually explain it to you in English? It depends on the professor. Some professors do speak in English. Some uh-huh. professors just, you know, translate all the way. So basically from what, kindergarten all the way till you got your bachelor's degree, you have been subjected to English. Yes, but that doesn't make us very good speakers because there are people who are struggling with the English proficiency tests mm. while they're applying for scholarships. So, Here in the U.S., so like the eyelids and the TOEFL. Yes. So for us, and for me especially, I've actually, this is going to sound funny, but I've used other methods like playing video games. You know, I picked mm. up English very fast. From um, video games. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And uh, I quickly established friendships with three to four people that are native or like Americans, mm-hmm. not international students. That were Americans living in Kuwait? Um, no, in, in the U.S. when I arrived in 2014. Oh, okay. The reason why is I wanted to practice my English. Oh, I see what you're saying. And so the people that you associated with when you came to the U.S. were Americans and not fellow Kuwaitis or people from the Middle East. Yeah. Aha. Um. So when you were in Kuwait, did you, uh, you, you say you played video games. Did you online game too? Oh, yeah. And so when you online game, was it fellow people from Kuwait or usually, was it? Yes, usually, but I also have friendships internationally. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. And so, we spoke English. So. so is that how you learn the English or you learn the English through the actual gameplay itself? It was a mixture of both. A mixture of both. I have a cousin. Believe it or not, his name is Rashid, and he and his sister, older sister, have learned to speak English perfectly from movies, from watching American movies. It is it is the most I don't want to say absurd, but it is the most um, amazing thing to see, because when I go back to Jordan and I I talk to my cousin um, Rashid and his sister, um, I don't even hold back. Like, I don't try to slow down or try to use a different terminology or cut off the slang. I mean, I stri- straight up talk to him like he's an American. Uh-huh. You know, when me and him are on our by ourselves, we talk Arabic. But, you know, sometimes sometimes things are I'll say it in English and 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 he'll totally understand. And he'll respond in English, too. He totally knows what I said. And my mom, like I said, my mom's American. And so whenever he goes over to the house and talks to Completely in English. My mom talks to him and his sister in in English perfectly. And I've always been just amazed at how you could learn a language just by watching movies. You know, they would have movies with subtitles. And just over the years, they've picked up the entire English language just by watching movies. Isn't that crazy? I I personally couldn't have done it in reverse. When I it took me f- almost 5 years to get the language down the way I have it. Mm-hmm. It took me seriously a very long time to learn Arabic because English is my native tongue. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I said from from birth to like 6 or 7 or 8, I only knew few words and few sentences. And when I got to Jordan, I mentioned this in a a previous episode, um, that basically I had to swim with the sharks, you know, I had to, had to pick it up, but luckily I was young enough to where I could pick it up quickly. And my sister picked it up even quicker than I did. So I would ask her to translate. And I had an uncle who lived in the U S for quite some time and, and, uh, he would, he would help me out, but he wasn't always there. And so I had to learn just by one, two words, three words. Sometimes my grandma, she was old school, right? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) she would tell me to go get her something. Okay. She, she just sent me on a mission, whether it was go to your uncle's house and get this spice or get this 
pot or pan or some kind of cooking instrument or uh, something they left at their house, whatever it was. And my, my grandma can't speak any English. I mean, yes and no is the only two words that she knows in English. And so she would tell me the word and I would I would memorize the word. At first, I would just guess and I'd bring it back to her and she would like she'd be like ah, rah, 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 in Arabic. Like and I'm like, I don't know what she's saying. Man. You know, uh, she would give me what they call a bahdala. A bahdala in Arabic means like a good old, you know, what for? Like, you know, who are you? You should be knowing this. You're, you're uh-huh, yeah. you know, you're an Arab, too. And 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 <laughs> and so to avoid these bahdalas, these, uh, you know, getting getting gra- uh, barked at, basically, I would memorize the word. I go to my cousin's. Rashidin Sultan and I would say, "Hey, what does uh, kasa mean, or what does malaga mean?" And they would be like, they would try to explain it to me, right, in Arabic. They'd be like, you know, they would gesture malaga means spoon, right? So they would gesture that it's a spoon, and they used it to eat, or it was a glass. Kasa means glass, and they would try to uh, gesture that you know you drink with it. And if I didn't get it, if it was like a spice or it was like some kind of herb, you know, she'd tell me to go get mint. They used to grow mint outside, and. Uh, and and so they would kind of if I couldn't understand it, I'd, I'd take them by the hand and I would point. I'd be like, show me. And so they would show me. And then, boom, I had that word memorized. It was in, you know, and then, you know, you find the, the those words that combine sentences like go, come, please. No. Yes. And then it ended up ended up becoming into becoming a, a b- being able to to speak the entire language. And then once I got, you know, just a little bit in, then I was able to, you know, fill in the gaps and learn new vocabulary words as, as I went. And I just basically learned it, you know, self-taught just by my surroundings. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it was it was definitely something that um that was that was super interesting. Um what about you? Like, how did you learn English other than just the video games? Was it was it that was the only way that was the only way you had no one else in Kuwait that was talking to you in English other than your English teacher? Um, I mean, yeah, I was kind of taught by, you know, some of my parents, you know, my my father is. Uh, so Arabic a, is your native tongue. Yes. You learned that from as a child. Uh-huh. And then you, as you grew older, you started started to learn. Wow, that's pretty interesting, man. That's it's very fun. Um, so you know, talk to me more, man. Tell me, tell me some of the other stuff that that um, you found is super interesting when you came here. So that's funny. Um, there are two, um, I'd say, two subjects that are different between the two cultures. You know, the American, the Kuwaiti culture. The, um, you know, being in the U.S. You have to be be you have to be there on time. That's okay. not the thing in the Kuwaiti <laughs> culture, and it's funny I when I, when I went back when I finished my masters and went back to see my professors. Uh, it was there was this incident where they um, um, they actually started a social gathering and say, hey, you know, you and your colleague, because I have a colleague in Minnesota doing his PhD. And he, they were like, okay, come on on. We'll just do this so meeting. So you guys both and, had traveled back to Kuwait for yes, a visit? Yeah. And, oh, come on on. Come on in. Let's go and just do this social gathering. We're going we're gonna to bring in food. So you uh, got invited. Yeah. Um, professor, you know, professor, um, th- that professor just retired and she's making a cake for you guys. So we showed up. And it's funny how I showed up in time, like on time. And I was yeah. like very careful and i'm like i'm gonna show up on time i have to give them a good impression and i i was the first one to arrive and the second one arrived like 15 minutes later (laughs) so it was kind of funny that like okay time management yeah i was i am in kuwait no one actually follows time here in the middle east i i agree that being fashionably late is part of it i i i remember growing up and they would say hey we got invited to so-and-so's house at seven o'clock and we would leave the house at 7.30. And I used to ask my dad, Dad, why are, we, why are we leaving so late? And he would say, son, if we got there on time, it would look like we were there to eat. We wanted to, just to eat, you know. Uh-huh. We have to be a little bit late so that we could show them that food isn't what's on our mind. It's their company or enjoying that social gathering with them. And so learning that stuck with me hard. Even here in the U.S. And when I first got here, I, I was the same way. I would I would show up late to stuff, fashionably late. And it was it was rude, mm-hmm. you know, where people would be like, 
you know, at seven o'clock, they meant seven o'clock and people had such time constraints here that, you know, if you only have an hour to hang out and I show up 45 minutes late, well, guess what? We only got 15 minutes to hang out. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I definitely, yeah. <laughs> so you showed up early, huh? Uh-huh. It was, it, it was kind of funny, you know, arriving there. There was, there was all the food. Yeah. The food was there. Right, right, no right. One's, no but one's no there. one showed up. No one showed up. <laughs> so you're used to that stuff here in, in the U.S. showing up on time. And yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty important. And I, I agree. I, I try. Let's just say I try to show up on time. Right. I have to admit, I, I definitely, since I've had kids, I've been able to be a lot better with time management um, only because I have to start getting them ready so early because if I even take, if I even late five minutes getting them ready, boom, because you never know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. One of my kids might just decide to not want to leave. Like my son this morning, he did not want to get his shoes on. So I had to say, all right, I'll see you later and pretend like I'm going out and say, let's go. And then he got to the door and on the on the doorstep, mm-hmm. I'm putting his shoes on on the doorstep. And so, you know, you never know what could happen. And so I feel like, you know, people would be like, what? You have kids. Usually you should be late because you have kids. No, actually, I have to start really early getting them ready, which makes me get to things on time because I got to get them to school on time. And then which makes me super early for, for things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing that I wanted to mention is our spending habits. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. You're smiling. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, um, yeah, being here and being there, there are two different, again, opposite cultures. In the Middle East, we're spenders. Mm-hmm. We're not like, we don't save money. We just spend it. We just have fun. There is no long-term vision when it comes to money. Now, being here in the U.S., I'm more careful and I'm more like, aware of my money you know hey you're I don't frugal wanna... not frivolous yes uh-huh. so you you want to just make sure you don't just spend like an arab you know right so it's funny how i went back home one time it was i think back in 2015 and um i saw this you know cologne you know that's another cultural thing we wear yeah, cologne. Yep, so. yep. i'm sure a lot of the listeners know that <laughs> <laughs> so um the cult, you know, in the culture, we wear cologne and we spend money, a lot of money on cologne. So I see that, you know, bottle and I'm like, huh, that's 80 Kuwaiti dinars. That's around 300, around US 300, dollars. Yeah, 300 US dollars. And I'm like, huh, um, I think I'm going to hold off. And, I had you know, to pass on that one. Yeah, huh? and, you know, my mother was with me and she was like, why? Like, because you see it. You see it, 80 Kuwaiti dinars, yeah. just 80. I see $300. So, no, thank you. Yeah. And she was like, you sound like an immigrant. Go <laughs> and spend your money. What's wrong with you? And uh, You sounded so, like somebody not from here. Yeah. So, it's kind of, that was an odd thing. There is definitely this saying in the Middle East, and and, it, it, and I used to be, used to do it. It's, it's a lay for the jet. And Allah footage means God will figure it out for you, basically. We it's, have a we have a better well, I, I guess in Kuwait we have a better saying. What's that? Uh What does that mean? So it means uh, let the sun, you know, put your sun uh, put your money under the sun and let it burn while you stay in the shade. Wow. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um so basically just spend it. Yeah, just spend, spend it. it for some comfort is kind of what it's saying. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of times where in the Middle East, in, in Jordan, and that just goes to show you the, you know, Kuwait is a little bit richer of a country than Jordan. And, they you know, they have a lot more um, money to uh, go around than Jordan does. So there are people in the, in Jordan that do happen to um, save money and, and kind of are uh, really frugal. But at the same time, it's like once they get to that level of having money, they start acting like that. So it is innate in the Arabic culture to to spend money. And I think that has to do with with believing in, you know, we're not we don't. So as Muslims, as Arabs, a lot of us are Muslims. And as Muslims, we don't believe that we're taking anything with us to the grave. Right. That's true. And so being that we have that thought process, we say to ourselves, why hoard our money 
when we could spend it. Because if we die, I mean, it's kind of like the YOLO. You know, people screaming out YOLO over here. You only live once, so just go and do it and stuff like that. We kind of have that same philosophy, but just in a different way. We think of it as in like, hey, you know, we... We're not taking any of this money with us to the grave, so why not, you know, uh, spend it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, I would, my cousins and I, we would go out and we would, you know, we'd have however much money we'd have, and we'd go and do whatever it is that we wanted to do, and end up spending all of our money. And you know, I would, I would say, oh, what about tomorrow? Or my cousin, and oh, life of the God will take care of it. Like mm -hmm. we, you know, we're not even worried about it. We're not even thinking about it. And the next day comes, and guess what? We're sitting <laughs> on the couch, not doing anything because we got no money because we spent it all yesterday on dumb stuff, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. stuff that's not even lasting on Either. food, mainly on food and entertainment that uh -huh. lasts that night, you know? And, uh, I remember one time I spent like, I had like 400 Jordanian dinars, which is about $700. Um, and I spent like three quarters of it on a rental, on a rental car. Mm-hmm. And unnecessarily, because all we did was drive around, burn up gas, go to this place, that place, have this to eat, watch this movie, uh, go have some hookah. And then the next day, I had this rental car that I couldn't go anywhere because I didn't have any money, you know. And so I, I agree with you. America definitely teaches you how to um, uh, save money and have have more money. Um, but let me ask you this, man. Let me, let me, let me ask you this of all your travels and all the places that you've been, you know, who are you, you know, what do you keep with you that you would consider that no matter where you went or no matter how you lived, this is who you are identity wise. So, um, that's, that's a good question. Um, what people don't know, and I guess a lot of international students are going to relate to this. International students are time capsules. They're time capsules of um, specific set of values, specific ideas. Mm -hmm. Now, some are affected and some are not affected by their surroundings. And, you know, we're all going to be um, influenced by our surroundings, by some of us to a degree and some of us completely. Like, mm -hmm. I've sat down with colleagues that are have like international students that have no set you would sit down with them the way they talk they they may speak arabic but they have no sense or no awareness of their own culture uh -huh. and they're completely americanized and on the other hand there are the people that completely arab mm -hmm. they've been here they're they still come late to class you know not to class necessarily. bad time management yeah bad time management. spending money frivolously that's true um and still they haven't acclimated well i mean yeah so to some extent yes and to some extent no they would acclimate to some stuff but you know to the weather for instance but n never to the culture or let's say um being aware that okay this is not gonna go my way because it's a different culture mm -hmm. so that's another problem so um one of the main things that it would even you know, that every international student would relate to is you have a set of values that you, you know, I left Kuwait in 2014. Right. I still carry the same values. Even if I go back to Kuwait right now, it's going to be changed. It's mm -hmm. not going to be the same country that I've been, you know, that I lived. That you're and, used to. Yeah, that I'm used to. Or were know, used to. From 2014, because right. from what I'm hearing from colleagues things back change. home. Yeah, things change. Right. Jordan's the same way. So... You carry those set of values with you to the U.S. You learn some good uh, values from Americans and you take those. Right. While also introducing your own values that are really, you would see they have a good long-term effect on them. Some people feel discouraged and feel that they have to um, appease or have to um, fit in because... Oh, I want to fit in. It's kind of a mechanism, like, you know, the mechanism of the herd. You want to you want to fit in. You want to feel safe. You want to be part of the group. You want to be a part of the group. That's yeah. correct. So don't feel bad or don't feel discouraged if you cannot fit in. And that's that's a problem not like I'm very sure that's not a, just a problem with international students, but with also even domestic students. Mm -hmm. 
that attitude is, oh, I have to change this, I have to act this way. I mean, yes, you have to some extent, you have to compromise, but do not let go of who you are. And this is a thing that I've noticed a lot while I'm in, I'm in the U.S. Um, I do recall one time I'm talking with two colleagues and uh, one of them is a native English speaker. The other one is um, an Arabic native, you know, native Arabic speaker. So it's funny, you know, she started, well, one of the, the, one of the colleagues started speaking Arabic to me and I told her, hold off. We cannot speak Arabic we, because we have someone who cannot speak Arabic with us. Uh -huh. And that's in the Islamic culture. It's not just Arabic, but Islamic as well. And she got offended. She didn't know that, but she also got offended. So she totally... Who got offended? <laughs> the, the one that spoke Arabic. Okay. She got offended because you told her not to speak Arabic? Yeah. Uh-huh. Because, because she, out of she, respect for the person that was in the group that didn't speak Arabic. Yes. So yeah. she let go of her culture. Uh-huh. But, you know, you're the guy who's just holding it, you know, tight. And it's, it's a good virtue. Like, hey, you know, speak English out of respect for the guy who or the gal who doesn't... Don't speak. Part of the group. Yeah. Especially if it's all part of the group. I mean, uh, here in America, we're all for, you know, speaking whatever language we want to speak. But I definitely agree with you that if we are with a group of people so, and of those people, there's two or three people that speak another language. It's best if everybody speaks one common language so no one feels like they might be saying something about them. So what I'm, you know, pointing at is you can fool the world, but you cannot fool yourself. Right. Do not change who you are. There's learn. Yeah. You, you got to learn from the culture you're in. There's a lot of good stuff you're going to pick up. Money management, time management, um, um, persistence. There's a lot of Americans here, colleagues that persisted through a lot of hardships. They've been through a lot and they're still living and they're still working hard. And you have to appreciate that. We in Kuwait, it's very comfortable. And probably this is why I'm heading back to Kuwait once I'm, I'm done with a PhD because it's a comfortable living in Kuwait to come to life. So it's awesome. It's actually, I never understood why we spend so much money. You can literally hoard money yeah. over there. Um, so you've said, uh, you know, I try to sit down with a lot of colleagues, international colleagues, don't let go of who you are. Take yeah. pride in it. Take pride in that human being that you are. This is for all the international students out there. Yes. And, and domestic students. Yep. And don't, you can, you can lie, you can put a mask on, but you're going to, you know, you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel like a hypocrite. You're going to feel bad. You know, with time, you, that mask is going to fall off. So you feel like, uh, to the question that I originally asked you about, you know, what it is that you kept and, and who you are, you feel like, you know, you still, even though you've learned some of the new culture and new ways uh, of America, you still feel like you've held on to a lot to the, uh, from way, from your from from your original culture. From to, the, to this very day, I have a problem calling um, people that I first like I just met by their first name, even if, if they are elderly, okay. if they are like professors. professors. Yeah, I always call them professor, professor. I professor. do the same thing. Um, I still have a problem with calling, there was a friend, um, someone that I met and that specific someone, he's, I think he's 70 years old and he okay. was like, call me Tony. I'm like, I cannot call you Tony. You're as old as my grandfather. Right. I can't call you sir or mister. Something. So just to clarify in the Middle East, when we talk to elders, we usually refer to them as like either uncle or we say father, or, uh, we say, you know, um, we give them their kunya or their kunya is like. So their title, yeah, um, whether it's doctor or professor or even like if we so in the Middle East, sometimes people um, when they have a son, their oldest son, they become the they, they become called the father of whoever that that son name is. So, for example, like Muhammad, if he was the oldest, are you the oldest? I am. And you're the oldest. So your father would be considered or called Abu Muhammad. Yes. My dad would be considered, actually I have an older brother named Yusuf, so my dad is considered Abu Yusuf, and so on and so forth. And so if they don't have a title of like doctor or professor or um, ustad, which means like mister, I guess, uh, you would call them by, by that name. Uh, and so... It's definitely a, a big challenge. I, at first it was difficult for me to do that here, um, but I got over that. I, it, I call people what they want to be called, but when it comes to women, 
I, I, I can't. I have to call them, especially if they're elder. I have to call them Ms. and then whatever their name is. And I call them by their first name. I don't call them by their last name. That's too formal, especially in an environment like where I work. But like, let's say someone's name's Judy, for instance, which is a very old name, right? Um, I, I say, you know, hello, Ms. Judy, or, or good morning, Ms. Judy, or good morning, Ms. Monica, or, or whatever their, their name is. Now, if they're younger, I'll just call them by their first name, you know, but but definitely the, the elder generation. Yeah. Um, so don't feel bad. I, I've I've been through that road where I, um, I, you know, I thought that I have to. Um, international students, listen up. This is international this is, students. This is, you know, this message is for you. Yeah. Some people, you know, some people want to fit in. So they have to dress differently. They have to talk differently. They have to um, compromise what their values are. And I've reached that point where I almost compromised some of my values and went back to my original self. Like, this is who I am. I'm not going to fool anyone. Right. This is my culture. And right, right. this, you know, my set of ethics that I want to live with throughout my life. But at the same time, you've picked up stuff here that you also will take with you for the rest of your life. Is that yes, right? Yes. Same with me. I want to introduce, like when I was here, some people had that influence. Some people were um, were influenced by this. And some people, you know, said, I actually like the fact you're, um, you do this and you do that and you do this. And it's from the culture. It's not me. It's from the culture. From the American culture. From the Kuwaiti culture. Oh, from the Kuwaiti culture. Oh, so you're saying here people enjoy the way you do certain things. Yes. And they, let, lo and behold, they, they don't know that you brought that from Kuwait here. Yes. And I, I, I really wanted people to understand that there is a lot of good culture when yeah. you sit down with international students. I had a colleague who uh, was doing his PhD in food science from China. He, um, the way he hosted a dinner was amazing. Um, was it I, traditional? Well, it was traditional, and he said, I actually cook in excess to show my generosity and throw the food away. That's how they show their generosity in that specific part of China. Wow. And, um, like, unfortunately, in the American culture, it's more individualistic. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, during Ramadan, there was, you know, when I, back in 2014 and 2000, late 2015. Right. Um, there was there was a Saudi colleague who knocked. He was doing his PhD in engineering, and he always knocked on my door. Hey, I cooked something. Come show up at my apartment. Oh, nice. So this kind it of it was culture, your neighbor. It was my neighbor. So th this kind of a culture, unfortunately, exists, but it's not common in the U.S. It's not as common as it used to be. Yes, it used and, to be like that. And us as international students, we have to. I think it's just like the. American, our American colleagues introduced us to uh, some set of values, which yeah. are, I think, very beneficial when we go back home. Amen. Um, and vice also, versa. And vice versa. We yeah. have to also introduce them to, okay, these are the cultures we carry. Yeah. And some would be influenced and some would, would you know, would be, you know, would, wouldn't care about uh -huh. those set of values. Just say, I want to do this, I want to do that, and that's fine. The final message is I really, really wish people to fully understand, hey, first of all, reflect on yourself. Understand who you are and where you are and what are your values and how do you want to live? Um, the second thing is be appreciative of this, uh, this opportunity that you're in the U.S., you're meeting a lot of different minds, a lot of different, you know, ideologies, uh, a lot of consciences, you know, like... Mm -hmm you're meaning this conscious and that conscious. So that's beautiful. And it's constantly only, learning other people's ways and cultures and yeah. languages. And, um, it's beautiful. It is. Yeah, I agree. And, um, just be you, be you, be yes, you. That's probably the message that I want to send. That's a beautiful message. Uh, Mohammed, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us about all of that. I have to agree your core identity, who you are, should never change, but it should just constantly be built upon. You know, you take the best values of wherever you go. Even if I landed in Japan and lived there for a while, I would take the best of their qualities and add it to 
my core identity. If I lived in Jordan or I lived here in the U.S. or went to Canada or Mexico or anywhere around the world, I would try my best to take the best qualities that would benefit myself and the people around me um, the most and build it and, and constantly. And so when I'm 75 years old, you know, I have that wisdom. And that's where it comes from. It comes from learning one another. You know, in Islam, they teach us that people are of different races and of different colors. And you would agree with me on this and of different tongues, meaning they speak different languages only for one reason. God could have could have could have created us all the same color. He could have created us all speaking the same language, but he created us different so that we may learn from one another so that we may come together. And you are a specialty in one field. I'm a specialty in another field and with a different language and a different culture and a different background. And I may teach you something and you may teach me something. And we both can go home with being better versions of ourselves by learning what other people do. And that's the beauty of America is that, you know, we are a land of immigrants. So we are a, a, a group of a melting pot that we are constantly learning from one another. And I really appreciate that message that you sent to the international students. And I think the domestic students too. I think people that are living here in the U.S., should try to share their culture with other people. You don't necessarily always have to be, uh, you know, like try to re to to refrain from telling people from the Middle Eastern culture or from the Indian culture or from the um, Asian culture about how it is and how we are here as Americans. But at the very same time, it's great to take what they have to offer and accept it as well and become, like I said, better versions ourselves. Again, Muhammad, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you all for listening today. It was a great, great opportunity to learn from Mr. Muhammad and myself about how our cultures have clashed, but how we have become better versions of ourselves. how we have obtained uh, knowledge from people across the world. Please tune in next week for another episode of The One Man Show. Keep believing in yourself and I'll see you next week.